Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. So when I was a child, this is how I learned the story of, story of Jonah. There was a man named Jonah, and he was a prophet. And because he was a prophet, it meant that he was a good guy. And so God called this good guy named Jonah, and he told him to go preach to Nineveh. The people in Nineveh, they were evil, wicked sinners, and so the people in Nineveh were evil. Jonah was scared of the evil people, and so Jonah got in a boat going far away. Big storm comes along, Jonah's thrown overboard, he spends three nights in the belly of a large fish, the fish then vomits him up, which was my favorite part as a six-year-old, onto the land, Jonah then goes to Nineveh, he preaches the word of God, and then everyone gets saved and everything's wonderful and beautiful. That's how I learned the story of Jonah. Now, if you have ever had someone tell you this story in the way that I just described, and you weren't six at the time, I want to tell you that you've learned two things about that person who told you the story. First of all, they probably grew up in church too. And secondly, they probably have never actually read the book of Jonah. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to actually read the book of Jonah. And when you walk through this with me, you're going to find out that the book of Jonah has a lot of serious contradictions with the story that you just saw. It's not the same. Now, I am a total fan of editing certain Bible stories for the sake of a six-year-old. It is the right thing to do. There are things in the Bible that are too deep and complex for a six-year-old, but as we move past that point, we find the Bible has a lot of wonderfully complex narratives that can build us deeper in our understanding of Christ, deeper in our walk with God, and it's time for us to do that. And so I am looking forward to this series. Um, Mandy mentioned that she and Tonto are going to join at me in preaching in this series. We've been talking about this, praying about this. You know, one thing that's been on my heart going into this is if God had a really tough time getting Jonah's attention, I pray that he will have a very easy time getting our attention. And that as we lean into the story, we can find out why is this story in the Bible And what is it that God would say to us through the story today? Can we pray as we get started? Father, I love you. I thank you that you have left us with your word. I thank you that every single part of this word is divine and it is Holy Spirit inspired. That there was a God intention to every part of the Bible. And as we learn more about your scripture, we learn more about your character. I pray that as we walk into this new story that you would be our usher and guide us through each step that we take. I pray that your name would be glorified by our attitude and by the way that we receive your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the first question is obvious, and the question is, is who is Jonah? And the best answer to this question is not found in the book of Jonah, but it's actually found in the one other time that we hear Jonah's name in the Old Testament. You may not know this, but outside of the book of Jonah, there is only one other verse in the Old Testament that mentions this man, and that verse is found in 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings is a book that goes through all of these stories of Israel's history, 
And in these stories, there's one verse that mentions this man named Jonah. Let's read about this and let's see what we can learn about this guy before we start reading his story. 2 Kings 14.25 says, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Lebo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So what do we see here? Well, we see that there's this man named Jonah and that he is a prophet. So prophet of God, we assume that Jonah is a good person. But there's more that we can learn by looking at the other people and places that are in this same verse. So let's explore a little bit. So Jeroboam II, who is this guy? Well, this guy was the king of Israel during the time of Jonah. Something interesting that we know about Jeroboam is we know that he was an evil king. The reason we know this is because it says so in the verse right before this verse. So let's hop there real quick. So in verse 24, it says Jeroboam II did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So Jonah is the prophet to an evil king. So what kind of evil things did Jeroboam do? Well, during Jeroboam's reign, he filled Israel with false temples and false gods. If you remember when the children of Israel got condemned for building a golden calf at Mount Sinai, well, hundreds of years later, the evil king Jeroboam is building golden calves again. So this was very detestable to God, and yet... Jonah, the prophet of God, comes to this evil king, and he gives the evil king good news. So Jonah shows up to the, to the king, and he says, hey, you know our enemies, and their enemies were the Assyrians. The Assyrians was like the massive world power of this time. He says, those guys, well, here's my prophecy from God to you, evil king, is that we are going to go conquer some cities. There's some cities the Assyrians have taken over. We're going to go kill them, and we're going to go take back over those cities. Jonah prophesies this to the evil king, and then that's exactly what happens. Now, this one little window we have into Jonah's life is balanced out by another prophet that comes after Jonah, and his name was Amos. And what's so interesting about Amos is Amos also serves the same evil king after Jonah. And when Amos comes into the scene, he prophesies over King Jeroboam the exact opposite thing that Jonah said. So when Amos comes on the scene, he says, hey, evil king, what you're doing, welcoming false gods into Israel, the way that you are leading this nation is so detestable to God that those cities that you just won, you're going to lose them. And Israel is going to be attacked by Assyria. Assyria is going to take back those boundaries and you're going to lose land and you're going to lose people because you are leading this nation in an evil way. So the things that an ancient reader would know about Jonah when they started reading the book of Jonah is really all of the things that we just uncovered ourselves. They would know just what I just described to you. Jonah was a prophet to an evil king. He prophesied that they would have victory over the Assyrians. And then Amos came and said the opposite, and they lost that land back to the Assyrians. So what do we think about Jonah? We don't quite know yet. So let's start 
his story. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 two through 2 says this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. God tells Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. Can anyone guess what nation Nineveh is the capital of? Assyria. It's that place. It's that same place. The same place that Jonah had said, guess what, evil king? Good news. We're going to go kill these bad guys. Well, that same place, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And God is now telling Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to help them turn from their evil ways. And I want you to go preach to the people of Assyria. You know, studying this this week and the land war that occurred between Assyria and Israel has just had me very thoughtful about the land war that's happening right now between Russia and Ukraine. And it's actually a, a very similar comparison that Assyria was this world power, that was this David and Goliath kind of relationship of military strength. And looking at this, I, I, I called my brother-in-law Tyler. I've got a brother-in-law. His name is Tyler, and he's currently a PhD candidate at Baylor University in Old Testament studies. So whenever I start drifting into the Old Testament, I call Tyler, and I make sure I'm not saying anything stupid. And talking to him, he said something that was very insightful about this, and I want to actually quote him from our conversation. So he said this. He said, God asking Jonah to go to Nineveh in ancient times is the same as God asking a Ukrainian Christian to go to Moscow in 2022. Will you think about that for a minute? I just want to say it one more time before we move on. God asking Jonah to go to Nineveh in ancient times is the same as God asking a Ukrainian Christian to go to Moscow in 2022. So what does Jonah do? Jonah goes in the opposite direction. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 says this, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He brought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Can I help illustrate how opposite of the plans they are? Uh, if you look at Joppa, Joppa is right down here on the coastline of Israel that leans right into the Mediterranean Sea. Nineveh, this arrow actually should be a little bit further out. Nineveh is 500 miles away from Joppa, and it's landlocked. So you cannot get to Nineveh by a boat. You do not need a boat to get there. And yet Jonah comes down to Joppa and gets on a boat, and he heads to Tarshish, which is 2,000 miles all the way across the Mediterranean Sea into what is modern-day Spain. He goes to Spain. Like If there was directions to get far away, there is not a place in the known world that could have been farther for Jonah to head to. The Bible in Jonah chapter 1 doesn't expressly tell us why he wanted to get away, but it's really easy for us to learn from everything that we've talked about today, is that these are the people who Jonah once said, we're going to kill them and we're going to take their land. And now the plan has shifted. Jonah is not scared of going to Nineveh. Jonah is scared that God is going to show mercy on Nineveh. This is the shift that's happening. I'm going to cheat a little bit and hop over to Jonah chapter 4 just for a moment because it's actually in Jonah chapter 4 where Jonah confesses to us what he's thinking in this moment. So when God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, 
Here's what Jonah says back. So Jonah 4.2 says, This is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah did not want God to turn back from destroying the Assyrians. I'm going to say this carefully, but I want you to think about it. If in the last few months you have prayed for God to kill Vladimir Putin or Russian soldiers, there might be a little bit of Jonah in you. There might be a little bit of Jonah in us. The story of Jonah reminds us that God's compassion is not limited to any group or from any group. You know, it, uh, it, it feels good to be in a group. Uh, I am a very average baseball player, but I am really looking forward to going to a, a few Brewers games this summer. I love going with my kids. It's one of my favorite things to do. And when I go to a Brewers game, I will be wearing my Brewers hat. The reason I wear this is because I want people to know that I'm part of the group, right? So, like, I cannot run as fast. I can't swing as hard. I can't pitch as well. But when I wear that hat, I'm in. I'm, I'm part of the team. I'm in this group. And when you are in a good group, you undeservedly adopt the positive attributes of that group. So if you are barely passing your classes at an Ivy League university, you undeservedly adopt the positive attributes of that group. If you are sitting on the bench of a Super Bowl winning team, you undeservedly adopt the positive attributes of that team. But this works both ways. So if you are on a unfavorable group or a group that is perceived to be unfavorable, you are then also going to adopt undeservedly the negative attributes of this group. So for example, when my good friend Mike Peppers walks into the office next to me wearing a Chicago Cubs hat, my brain tells me Mike Peppers is a terrible person. And then... Several weeks later, when I am leaving a Brewers game and I'm out in the parking lot late at night and some mostly drunk person in a Chicago Cubs jersey starts cussing at my family, my brain says, Mike Peppers is a terrible person. Jonah made a decision in his mind and it worked out like this. Jonah could not be wrong because he was in the right group. And the Ninevites could not be made right because they were in the wrong group. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel has a website where they track violence in our city, and specifically they track uh, homicides that have occurred throughout the year. At, at this point in the year, five months into 2022, there's been 73 homicides that have occurred in the city of Milwaukee. That's like 22 higher than what it was last year at this time. So let's do a little group participation here. If you live outside of the city limits of Milwaukee, would you raise your hand? So if you live in some suburb and you don't actually live in the city limits of Milwaukee, okay, so you, you can put your hands down. If you just put your hand up, it would be easy for you to look at this suffering and say, that's not my group. I, I, I live out here. That's not my problem. I'm not part of that group. 86% uh, of the victims this year were under the age of 50. So... If you're over the age of 50, raise your hand. 
it would be easy for you to say, that's not my problem. I'm not part of that group. 78% of the victims were men. So if you're a woman, raise your hand. It would be easy for you to say, this isn't my problem. I'm not part of that group. 89% of the victims were black. So if you're Asian, Hispanic, white, or Native American, raise your hand. It would be easy for you to say, that's not my problem. I'm not part of that group. But if you're in this room and you do live inside the city limits of Milwaukee, and if you are under 50, and if you are a man, and if you are black, it can feel like the whole room just took three steps back away from you. And that is not the character of Christ. That is not the compassion of God. That is not the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there's just one group, and it's his group. In the kingdom of God, there is only one requirement, and it is for everyone who believes. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So there's one requirement, and it looks like this. Anyone who believes is in. And who's invited? Everyone's invited. Everyone's invited in, and anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus belongs. You are in the group, and there's no subgroups. There's no subcategories. It doesn't break off. There is no us and them. There is no me and the others. There is just one community of faith. Our humanity likes breaking things up. We like separating. It can insulate us. It can make us feel safer when we look at someone and say, that's not my group. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. Jonah chapter 1 ends with someone calling out to God with a repentant heart, but surprise, it's not Jonah. So as they're traveling across the Mediterranean, a violent storm comes up and threatens to tear the ship apart. Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat, but the sailors are very much awake. In ancient times, being a sailor was a bad job. They were often looked down upon as drunkards or sexually promiscuous or uh, worshiping pagan gods whenever, whatever, whoever they wanted. And so this was a very disrespected group. It was not the good group. It was not an admired group. It was not the right group. Ancient readers would have read the story of Jonah and they would have assumed that the sailors were going to act like sailors and yet something extremely unexpected happens. And when this storm starts coming, the first people who recognize what is going on is the sailors. They cry out to their gods. And you might sit here and go, well, that's not appropriate because they're calling out to foreign gods. They're calling out to the wrong people. The reason they were calling out to foreign gods is because no one had yet introduced them to the God of Israel. And what I find so beautiful about the love of God is that he meets us where we're at time and time again. I think about the, the wise men who were looking in the stars to find Jesus. And God says, I'm not an astrologist. Like, this isn't how I speak. But if it's how you hear, I'm going to come speak to you how you hear. These sailors are on the ship praying to a random assortment of fake gods, and even in their honest heart towards something that was dishonest, God read their honest heart, and he leans into them. They cast lots to figure out what's going on, and even in that act, God says, I see your hearts, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to speak to you. So he lets them know that Jonah's the one to blame, so they wake up Jonah, and once Jonah starts explaining, 
the sailors hear for the first time in their lives about the God of Israel. And to them, they don't know it as the God of Israel. They just know him as the God of Jonah. And because of what they have seen, they know that this God is real. And so these sailors, of all the people in the story who would have a repentant heart, start crying out to the God of Jonah. Verse 14 says this, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sins. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. If this moment occurred in 2022, what would happen is I would immediately start playing keys. And then Pastor Brooke would start bringing an altar call. And, like, all of these, like, hairy, stinky sailors would start walking to the front of the church and call upon the name of Jesus. Because that, by the end of this chapter, these sailors are making sacrifices to the God of Israel. And they are vowing their allegiance to the God of Jonah. Their transformation is phenomenal. No one would have seen this coming, but yet their heart was open and their lives were transformed. If this story happened in 2022, Jonah would be sitting in the back row of the church with his arms crossed, thinking to himself, I just wish the church would feel like it used to. I don't know what I think about all these new people. I think there might be a little bit of Jonah in all of us. So here's Jonah's plan. Jonah gives us his plan in verse 12. He says, throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Can we think through his solution here? So Jonah's solution is, I would rather die than see God's mercy come to the Assyrians. Jonah doesn't know the fish is coming. He doesn't know he's going to survive this. He's in the middle of the ocean. He could have said, hey, guys, I made a mistake. Let's turn this boat around. We're going to go to Nineveh just like God said. That was an option on the table. It's not the option that he chose. He said, this is it. I'm not going there. I'm going to spare your lives and just kill me now. And let's call this closed. We're going to have a very interesting five weeks with Jonah, and I'm going to warn you in advance. By the time we're done, you're probably not going to like him, but that's kind of the point. Uh, Bible scholars refer to Jonah as an anti-hero, meaning that he does all of the steps wrong, but in his wrong steps, he can teach us how to make right steps. And so what would be very unproductive for us is if we worked through five weeks of Jonah and all we do is sit here and go, what a bad guy. I'm so thankful that I'm nothing like him and that I'm so much better than that guy. And I would never make any of the same judgments or mistakes that he made. There's a little bit of Jonah inside of all of us. And here's what the path looks like for those who have an earnest heart that are reading through the story of Jonah. If we can find a little bit of Jonah in us, we can repent and we can embody the compassion of God like never before. That's my desire for you. That's my desire for me. Is that in Jonah, we're going to see a man who is very uncompassionate. But if God can use this story to light up some things inside of me, to help me notice some things maybe that have gone unnoticed in my motivations, that there can be a transformative work in my heart. If we can find a little bit of Jonah in us, we can repent and we can embody the compassion of God like never before. If God had a difficult time getting Jonah's attention, 
I'm going to pray that he has a very easy time getting ours. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be working with us tonight. I pray that in the grooves, the ins and outs of this conversation, that you would be working on our behalf. I pray that in the, the tough moments that you would allow us to be in tune with your spirit. I pray that you would help none of us to leave this room with a self-righteous mindset. I pray that you would allow your humility to rest inside each one of us and that we would allow your word to move us. I pray that as we walk through this story together, I pray that you would allow us to deepen our compassion Allow us to deepen our relationship with you that we would be able to display the compassion of God in our city, in our homes, in our nation, in our workplaces, and in our schools. We need your help. We need your wisdom in our lives. And we pray, God, that you would do that with us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.